Hello, I'm Freddie Gray, editor of Spectator USA, and today we're going to be listening to a nascent edition of Washington Shots, which is brought to you by our new Washington editor at Spectator USA, who's called Kurt Mills. Have a listen. Hello, this is Kurt Mills, Washington editor of Spectator USA. I'm here with Gil Barndoller, the director of Middle East Studies at the Center for the National Interest. And this is the Washington Shots podcast, where you can be updated frequently on the goings on in Washington and abroad. So Gil, you've recently wrote for us on what else, Iran, and whether or not the Trump administration is going to do this. What say you? I think the the administration doesn't want a war. I think that's become very clear in the last couple of weeks if it wasn't beforehand. Uh, I think people should be concerned about a miscalculation about about both countries stumbling into something they don't want or, you know, the actions of a third party in the Gulf as well. But in terms of a, a conscious decision to to favor a military option uh, over others, no, I don't I'm not tremendously worried about that. So what what do you think the next six months look like? You have you have a national security advisor, Mr. Bolton, Ambassador Bolton, who seems doctrinally committed to essentially isolating the regime uh, and putting a lot of American foreign policy capital on that goal. Uh, from my own reporting, I can tell you that Mr. Bolton is far more rigid and ideological than someone who's off, he's often paired with in the media, Secretary Pompeo. Can Bolton be kept at bay? Well, I guess the question is, is how much longer he stays stays on as national security advisor. Oh, yes. There's rampant yes. speculation about that. And uh, how much he continues to get his way in, in the face of other actors. I mean, the, the, certainly, as we've seen in other issues, uh, Korea being a good one, there seems to be some clear differences of opinion between him and the president, and yet he remains in place. Do you think the president can hire someone he both likes and agrees with, right? Because we've seen, we've seen this in a number of respects, right? So uh, a Jeff Sessions is somebody he agrees with but doesn't like, clearly. Uh, a Rex Tillerson is someone he thought he liked when he interviewed him but ended up hating and didn't agree with him. Uh, a Mattis is someone he respected but didn't agree with. And Bolton, I guess he likes the cut of his jib, but they haven't gotten, there's no, there's no real warmness there personally. And it seems in the Gulf that uh, there's now daylight between the National Security Advisor and the President. Yeah, no, it certainly looks that way. I mean, I, I, if you could tell me what drives major staffing decisions in the White House, I, I'd, uh, I'd love to get a clear explanation of that. Doing my best. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think I think clearly in terms of basic kind of gut, you know, visceral impulses, I don't think I don't think the two are aligned at all. But uh, you know, this is still the president's national security advisor. He's still very and, and very high profile in that job, right? He makes a lot more overseas trips and is kind of the, the the face of the franchise in a way that is not always the case for that position. So it'll be interesting to see what the next six months brings in, in terms of Bolton's both. Uh, both his influence and, and even just the, the, the bare fact of whether he's staying in that job. Do we think that we're, broadly speaking, seeing a pullback? So Trump gets in in late 2016. He installs, he's installing his staff. And I remember 
early in 17, before the president's first overseas trip, that a senior administration official told reporters that essentially Washington, under President Trump, had been in lockstep with the Saudis, with the Emiratis, because, and I quote, they approached us first. And I think you've seen nearly 30 months of a fairly conventional, hawkish, conservative policy from the administration, inconsistent rhetoric from the president himself. But the policy, this has looked like, I think, President Cotton would look more or less, uh, Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas. But, uh, but I think now there's a chance that the red alert button has gone on in the president's head. Why do I say that? One, troop deployments are being bandied about vis-a-vis Iran. And two, his son-in-law, senior counselor Kushner's Israel-Palestine plan is actually going to be like a real thing, like a real proposal, as opposed to, I guess, Jared's working on it. I'm not sure we're sure about that. Well, I mean, I think we're getting closer to some kind of architecture being unveiled. And I think you saw this week, basically, Pompeo, who is most assiduous in lock and being lockstep with the president in leaked audio complained that essentially the plan did two things right and nine things wrong. And Trump basically in rare form backed up Secretary Pompeo implicitly against his own family. Yeah, I I uh I, I just I, I'm still unconvinced that the Kushner peace plan is viable. That I think that we're that viable that may not even be rolled out. I mean, the, the you, think, you don't think it's happening. Uh, you, think, I, you, think, you think Kushner's been is, is basically the top Middle East envoy. He's the point man on the Middle East. He's been saying he's doing this for two years. The Israelis are chomping at the bit for something. The the, the hardline Israeli Israel hawks think this is basically the, the the chance to solidify a de facto one state solution. You think this is just not going to happen? Well, I think I think the. The Israeli elections, right? The failure of, right. of Netanyahu to form a government, the fact we're going to have another election, and, and the, some other things that play along with that, right? In terms of the corruption charges in Israel and, and, and the legal outcomes there. So Lieberman's play in Israel and the fact that we're, we're now an unsettled space there and no resolution. Could Lieberman actually be prime minister? No, I don't think that's good. that's going to happen. So no, this is this is this but, is but this he's is, prevented uh, Netanyahu's former defense chief, very controversial. So if you think if you if you think Netanyahu is. Uh, on the more hardline edge of the Israeli politics, Lieberman is is, is the extreme. Oh, far more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the real, uh, the real secular uh, right hardline yeah. in Israel. Yeah. No, I think I, I think that there's you're not going to roll out a peace plan in which one of the two major actors uh, you don't know who's going to be running the government. I mean, I think that he's still probably a pretty smart bet to uh, to ultimately be be standing come the fall. But you're not gonna you're not gonna roll that out for now. I think I think this is this is. Still what, what, what would that look like? I mean, if you, if Netanyahu, this is actually it, and it's you basically. Uh, I mean, look, I mean, Gantz is I don't think any liberal, but he's basically a, a, a fairly conventional centrist IDF general, right? Center and, right, yeah, sure. right, yeah. So like, you know, this is hardly going to be like a labor government or uh, <laughs> a pro-Palestinian Israeli government. But like, how 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 uh, how much of a the critical quantum, thing of a quantum shift would it be? Yeah, the critical thing is Israel. The critical thing is not necessarily that; it's more that who, what that coalition looks like, right? So, come the elections, Netanyahu gets back into power. 
how much does he do so in a coalition with the hard right and how many votes end up in the hard right? And there's a difference between the, the secular hard right and the, uh, the religious parties, right? So I think someone put it well in the discussion I had earlier today in terms of Netanyahu is, may be dragged by his coalition partners by promises he has to make to win the election into places he doesn't want to go. Um, when we're talking about delivering on promises of partial annexation on the West Bank, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of other factors that, that come into that, as well as the Palestinian factor in terms of uh, the Palestinians obviously cooperate, security cooperation with Israel remains, remains the deal, uh, but that's hugely unpopular in the West Bank. And if right. you had a leadership, a succession issue in the West Bank with, with Abbas, what would that look like? And would, would a Palestinian contender that, that, that may have it behind closed doors and maybe a relatively orderly process, and that seems to be the smart betting. But if that goes on, uh, you know, would, would a Palestinian contender for leadership there be, be tempted to repudiate security cooperation given how unpopular it is in the West Bank? That's not likely. They, everyone that's sort of viable there is, is committed unhappily to that process. But but that's in the realm of possibility, and then you have an, you have a completely different situation. So fo back. focusing it back to the decision making in Washington, do you buy my thesis that essentially the president has has touched the stove a little bit, doesn't like how that feels, and is instructing to the extent that he is capable of wielding power even within his own administration, a dial back? Evidence for this: uh, one that the State Department is now open to unconditional negotiations with the Iranians, which, which is a shift. And two, lack of administration unanimity on the peace plan in Israel and Palestine. Yeah, no, I, th I think, again, I don't think the president wants a war. Uh, yeah. I think he thinks he can get away with, with bullying and pressuring Iran back to the table. And he may be right. I, I'm, I'm inclined to think they're going to, the regime thinks it can outlast him. Um, that, that they're hoping for a Democrat. Yeah, they're hoping for Democrat or... or uh, like in 18 months, like, yeah. Yeah, like, they're, they're hoping they, they think they can get to 2020. I mean, the economy, the economic ramifications are, are huge. I mean, well, I mean, I mean their economy, I mean, it's, it, it, for, for full context, I mean, uh, the U.S. economy in 2008 shrunk by 0.8%. They're shrinking at 5% a year. I mean, they, they yeah, are... Yeah, inflation's probably north of 50%. Yeah. Uh, the economy's contracting, all the rest of it. Um, they, they're, t they're suffering a lot of pain. And, and they're getting hammered. And in an escalating fashion, yeah. They're getting hammered. Having said so, I'm I'm personally skeptical they're going to be dragged to the negotiating table anytime soon. So you mean in the first term, or in, or in this presidential yeah, term? So I think, I think they can. Yeah, and then the men men running that country are, are guys that withstood a lot of hardship, especially in the immediate wake of the revolution and, of course, the war with Iraq. And I think they're willing to to, do take, it again. to take some pain. Yeah, uh, and, and able to do that. Obviously, the, the, the X factor is to what degree that's true of the big youth bulge in Iran, you know, the, the, the massive right. population in their 30s. Right. And, and, and what, how much they're willing to suffer for the regime and how much they blame the regime versus, right. versus, Western, versus the U.S. And, and Western actors. So I'm inclined to think, to think that they can, they can at least leg it out to the U.S. election and, and, and hope for some relief. I, th I think the European relief, the SPV and those kinds of things, relief from the Europeans and other actors just isn't going to happen in any in any substantive way, given given the U.S. stranglehold on, on the you know the world financial system, but I could be wrong. There are there are some influential people that think the Iranians are are if they can at least at least if, if Trump is going to give them some measure of face saving and, and certainly not going to going to go with the the Bolton the kind of maximalist Bolton or not Bolton excuse me uh, Pompeo twelve demands which I think are are would be hard for any. Iranian well, Pompeo, is, it seems he's, he's tailing back from his own list of demands. Right, but right. So I think um, I think if, if the U.S. was artful about it, and if Trump was actually really serious, serious in what he says, and really does just want to want to minimize Iranian nuclear aspirations. Well, I think he, well, I think he, I think he had two objectives. Uh, 
and, uh, and then we have to close. Uh, one, nullify Obama's deal. Sure. And two, do a, a better quote unquote deal in his assessment. Right. And I, I, I don't know that they'll be even with this level of pressure, that a, that a substantively better deal is going to happen. But if you can get some window dressing and some and uh, some symbolic wins on, on some of the ancillary issues that are now being, that we're beating the drums about, ballistic missiles, regional proxies, all that, the Iranians are not going to give up ballistic missiles. Well, John Bolton doesn't think we're going to have a better deal either. So you're in, you're in rare concurrence with yes. our national security budget. Uh, so I'll real quickly, to close, is Bolton in his job by Christmas? A prediction? I tend to doubt it. Uh, I would think that the president sours on someone, they're eventually gone. It seems like he's, he's soured on Bolton, um, but not just because of Iran. The Venezuela thing was yeah. was not a great, uh, was not a win on the board either. But there has not been at this point, certainly. I tend to think he's going to be be out, but it's anybody's guess with this administration. Kill Barndoller. Thank you. Thanks, Kurt. <laughs>